We'll read this morning from Proverbs chapter 22 in its entirety. This is the Word of God. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, loving favor rather than silver and gold. The rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Thorns and snares are in the way of the perverse. He who guards his soul will be far from them. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. The rich rules over the poor and the borrower, a servant to the lender. He who sows iniquity will reap sorrow, and the rod of his anger will fail. He who has a generous eye will be blessed, for he gives of his bread to the poor. Cast out the scoffer, and contention will leave. Yes, strife and reproach will cease. He who loves purity of heart and has grace on his lips, the king will be his friend. The eyes of the Lord preserve knowledge, but he overthrows the words of the faithless. The lazy man says, There is a lion outside, I shall be slain in the streets. The mouth of an immoral woman is a deep pit. He who is abhorred by the Lord will fall there. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. He who oppresses the poor to increase his riches, and he who gives to the rich, will surely come to poverty. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise, and apply your heart to my knowledge. For it is a pleasant thing if you keep them within you. Let them all be fixed upon your lips, so that your trust may be in the Lord. I have instructed you today, even you. Have I not written to you excellent things of counsels and knowledge, that I may make you know the certainty of the words of truth, that you may answer words of truth to those who send to you? Do not rob the poor because he is poor, nor oppress the afflicted at the gate, for the Lord will plead their cause and plunder the soul of those who plunder them. Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man do not go, lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. Do not be one of those who shakes hands in a pledge, one of those who is surety for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should he take away your bed from under you? Do not remove the ancient landmark which your fathers have set. Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. Well, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. You may be seated. Well, last Lord's Day, I shared with you the words of the 14th century scholar, philosopher, and churchman, Francesco Petrarca, better known as Petrarch, who said that there are, according to him, five great enemies to peace, greed, ambition, envy, anger, and pride. Well, to this point in our uh, examination of the book of Proverbs, we have considered both pride and anger. And this morning, we turn our attention to the vice of greed and its corresponding and opposite virtue, gratitude, or or generosity, I'm sorry. Scripture has quite a lot to say on this subject of greed and generosity from the Torah, the books of Moses there at the beginning, all the way to the epistles of the New Testament. There's quite a bit of teaching regarding greed, generosity, 
how we should treat the poor, how we should steward and manage our material possessions. Now, we don't have time to go into all of that this morning. Our, our focus will be on the subject of greed and generosity as we find it in the book of Proverbs. And my goal in this sermon is to point out for us the dangers of greed and how to cultivate the remedy, which is generosity. So let's begin by defining exactly what greed is. When we speak of the subject of greed, what are we talking about? It's considered one of the seven deadly sins. Petrarch called it an enemy to peace. And I think he means primarily the peace of our own souls, but as well the peace that we have with other people. There are only two verses in the entire book of Proverbs that have the word greed or greedy in them. And they, they both use this phrasing, he who is greedy for gain. He who is greedy for gain. So in the book of Proverbs, the idea of greed is particularly tied to the idea of financial gain or riches. Ultimately, greed is simply a variation of the sin of covetousness which is strongly desiring to possess something which does not belong to you but belongs to another. Greed, then, is the intense desire for wealth, for money, for financial gain, as the Proverbs put it. Now, we might use the word greed to speak of more than just money. Right? We, may, we might say that someone is greedy for attention, or that they're greedy for dessert, right? We, we might use the word in that way, but the proverb specifically puts it in the context of the discussion of material wealth, of riches. And so that will be our focus this morning. The, the word that is used here in Proverbs and is translated as greedy literally means to cut off. Uh, it means to make an unjust gain by cutting off a piece of something that belongs to someone else and taking it to yourself. Now, that's just stealing, plain and simple. But, it, but greed, stealing is the act. Greed is the motivation behind the act. Greed is the desire for that gain that causes you to act in theft. The early church uh, manual from the second century that they used to train new converts in the Christian faith known as the Didache, it warned new converts, do not be greedy or vain, for all these things give birth to theft. So the early church saw that the motivation of greed, if we give into it, will lead us to stealing, to taking that which does not belong to us, either secretly or openly by oppressing others. Now, we're warned in the New Testament, in the book of 1 Timothy, verses 9 and 10 of chapter 6, but those who desire to be rich, there's that desire for riches, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drowned men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. 
the unchecked greed, greed that we give into, that desire of our heart for the increase of financial gain, it leads to other sorts of evil. And we'll see some of those this morning in Proverbs. So that's what greed is. It's an intense desire for money or for wealth. And that's what we're seeking to combat in our own hearts, that, that desire, that longing within us for, for more. And we're all faced with this temptation, aren't we? We all want more. I, you know, as I think about the subject of greed and the subject of money, uh, there's a line from a movie that comes into my mind. It's a wonderful life. And the angel tells George Bailey that they don't use money in heaven. And he responds and says, I know, I know, but it comes in pretty handy down here, bub. And it does, doesn't it? Money comes in handy. We need it. We need money to supply our needs, to buy food and clothing and shelter and to provide these things for our family. But greed is the inordinate desire for more of it, for money for its own sake. Not to fulfill our responsibilities to provide for those under our care, but simply for the love of money itself. Now, the question that arises is, well, why shouldn't we have a desire for wealth? Why shouldn't we have a desire for money? What's wrong with that? When does it cross over from a desire to have enough to provide for our needs into an unacceptable desire, an inordinate, excessive desire? I mean, there is an acceptable desire, right, that a, a husband or a father has to, to provide financially for his family, to feed his kids, to clothe them, to keep a roof over their heads. Those desires are not wrong in themselves. Now, they can become wrong, right? We, we can overindulge. They can become excessive desires that grow out of proportion. The motivation becomes sinful rather than uh, seeing it as a godly responsibility, so, so those good desires can become twisted and become greed. So how do we tell the difference? Well, Proverbs gives us the wisdom to know when our desires are God-honoring and when they have exceeded their God-allotted boundaries and have become sinful. So let's look here at, at Proverbs together in chapter 22. Again, this is Proverbs, all the, the writings we saw in previous weeks, all the writings on anger were not gathered up in one place, all the writings on pride were not gathered up. Again, with greed, all the writings in Proverbs that address the subject are not all in one place. So we will move around this morning, but we'll look particularly here at chapter 22, verse 9. He who has a generous eye will be blessed, for he gives of his bread to the poor. Now, we'll come back to this verse in a few minutes when we discuss generosity, but right now we're trying to um, look at the subject of greed. And so why would we look at this verse that doesn't even mention greed? Well, it's because the language of this verse gives us a clue uh, as to what it means uh, to be greedy or to have this greed in our hearts. The language of this verse is, he who has a generous eye will be blessed. Well, what would be the opposite of having a generous eye or a bountiful eye? That would be to have a stingy eye, right? That's how we would think of it. Well, 
the language that Proverbs is using here. It is drawing from previous scripture. It's drawing this language from the book of Deuteronomy. In chapter 15 of Deuteronomy, and you don't necessarily have to turn there, but I'm going to read a section from Deuteronomy 15. In Deuteronomy 15, Moses is giving the law to the nation of Israel and and their various and sundry laws regarding their worship and and different things. And, And they have laws regarding the ordering of the nation, the judicial law. And this is one of those. And and so the law here instructs them regarding uh, what they call the, the year of release or the Sabbath year, one year out of seven. Every seventh year, they had this law that required them to forgive any debt that was owed to them by another Israelite. So you could loan money to someone, and when that seventh year rolled around, you wiped the slate clean. The debt is gone. Now, a foreigner could still be held to repay the loan, but a fellow citizen of the kingdom, when that seventh year comes around, the debt is forgiven. And Moses, God, through Moses, warns the people not not to be greedy. You know that seventh year is coming and someone is poor and they're in need and they've come to you and asked for a loan and you know well, we're only two years away from the seventh year, from the year of release. If I loan them this money, they're not going to repay it all before that year gets here and I have to forgive the debt. So Deuteronomy warns them against that sort of calculating mindset. Here's what it says. It says, If there is anyone among you, a poor man of your brethren, within any of the gates of your land which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your poor brother. But you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. Beware, lest there be a wicked thought in your heart saying the seventh year, the year of release is at hand. Now here's the key phrase. And your eye be evil against your poor brother and you give him nothing. And he cry out to the Lord against you and it become a sin among you. You shall surely give to him, and your heart should not be grieved when you give to him. Because for this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in all to which you put your hand. For the poor will never cease from the land. Remember, Jesus says this in the New Testament, you'll you'll always have the poor with you. The poor will never cease from the land. Therefore, I command you, saying, you shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor and your needy in your land. Don't harden your heart and not have compassion on those who are in need. Don't close your hand and be stingy and refuse to give. Open your hand. Give generously, willingly to those who have a need. Don't harbor wicked thoughts in your heart about how you're going to have to forgive this debt soon. Don't let your eye be evil against your poor brother That's the language that Proverbs is picking up on when it talks about having a generous eye towards the poor. A generous eye versus an evil eye. Now, to have an evil eye here in Deuteronomy is obviously to look at your brother with greed in your heart. Looking at him, he has his hand out, he's in need, he's asking for help, and you look at him and you begin to calculate what this is going to cost you. You begin to calculate whether or not he'll be able to repay you. If you look at your brother in this way, you are not looking at them with love. 
with greed and self-interest, you calculate just how generous you ought to be. But this is not how God would have us look at the poor among us. And this is dangerous to to have this evil eye towards someone who is in need because it, it not only withholds good from those who need it, but it causes your own heart to harden and to shrivel. It greatly displeases God. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 21, it says, He who despises his neighbor sins, but he who has mercy on the poor, happy is he. So to despise your neighbor is not to have mercy on him when he is in need. And it's sinful to look at your neighbor, your fellow man, when he is in need and to not help him if you are able. So consider your heart and your attitude towards the poor and the needy. When you see that someone is in need, do you, do you help them willingly with an open hand or do you begin to calculate Can I afford to do this? How much is this going to cost me? Will they ever be able to repay me? Do they really deserve it? Do you have compassion on your neighbor or do you give grudgingly? Proverbs says in in chapter 29, verse 7, The righteous considers the cause of the poor, but the wicked does not understand such knowledge. The righteous considers the poor, the cause of the poor, but the wicked doesn't understand that sort of knowledge. The wicked has an evil eye towards the poor. He lacks knowledge and understanding. If you hunger and you thirst after righteousness, if you would please God, then ask God to give you a soft heart so that when you see someone in need, your eye is generous towards them, compassionate rather than evil, calculating, and cold. If left unchecked, this evil eye, this calculating heart, it it, it leads to a hardening of the heart, which leads to not only disregarding the poor in their need, but eventually to even mocking them. Proverbs warns us in chapter 17, verse 5, He who mocks the poor reproaches his maker. He who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. If you mock the poor, if you, if you look at them and you, you find pleasure in seeing their calamity, you are reproaching God. To reproach someone is to express disapproval or disappointment with them. The word in Hebrew, interestingly, literally means wintry. If you despise the poor, it means that you're being cold towards God, that your heart is wintry towards him. If you mock the poor and you, you turn a blind eye to their need, you're not just turning a blind eye to them, you're turning a cold shoulder to God. And here in our text in Proverbs 22, verse 2 says that the rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. See, the Lord made the poor, and he told us as early as Deuteronomy, you will always have the poor in the land, and Christ repeats this, you'll always have the poor with you. And God did this, he he made the poor. So to mock and despise the poor is to suggest that God has failed in his making. But he hasn't. 
in making the poor. What, what has God accomplished? Why would he create a world in a situation in which some people are going to be rich and wealthy and have enough, others are going to be comfortable, but there are going to be some that are poor and in need? Why would God do such a thing? Is there wisdom in that? Well, I think there is. By making the poor, God teaches the poor themselves humility. But more than that, he teaches those of us who are better off to have generosity. He teaches us compassion and mercy. God knows what he's doing, and Scripture says that he does all things well. He does things in his incomparable wisdom that to us don't make sense. And we look at him and we go, that's, that's hard that there are people who are in poverty, people who are suffering, the lack of food or clothing or shelter. Why would God let that happen? Well, in his wisdom, God has designed it for our everlasting good, that he might teach us generosity, that he might teach us humility, that he might teach us mercy. To mock and to despise the poor among us is to reject the wisdom of God and to be wintry in your heart towards him. Proverbs also makes it clear that greed will lead us not only to despise and to mock the poor, but to take advantage of them. Proverbs ties greed to what we call unjust gain. We see this in our text in verse 16 of chapter 22. He who oppresses the poor to increase his riches, and he who gives to the rich, perhaps a bribe of some kind, will surely come to poverty. So oppressing the poor in order to increase your own riches is to value money more than you value people. One pastor I know years ago said, you will either love money and use people, or you'll love people and use money. If you love money and you use people to get more of it, to further your own self-interest, to satisfy your own greed, God is not pleased with this. Look down at verses 22 and 23. Do not rob the poor because he is poor, because he's defenseless, because you can rob him, because you can take advantage of him. Don't do that, nor oppress the afflicted at the gate, for or because the Lord will plead their cause and plunder the soul of those who plunder them. Well, that's a sobering thought. You plunder the poor, the Lord Almighty will plunder your soul. God defends the defenseless. Even if you get away with oppressing them in this life, your soul will be forfeit in the end. That's a pretty foolish exchange to make. The temporary wealth of this world in exchange for everlasting punishment from the hand of God. Likewise, in verse 26, we're told, do not, uh, sorry, not verse 26, verse 28, do not remove the ancient landmark which your fathers have set. The landmark it's talking about here is not just a statue somewhere. He's talking about the boundary marker set between pieces of property. Those that were set when the, when the people came into the land and divided it amongst the various tribes and families. Don't remove that landmark. In other words, don't sneak out there and move the property line in order to increase your own holdings. 
Don't take advantage of your neighbor in that way. In chapter 22, we're simply told not to do that. But in chapter 23, we get a little more information. It says in verse 10, Do not remove the ancient landmark nor enter the fields of the fatherless. So you won't dare to move the boundary marker between you and your neighbor if he's wealthy and powerful. But if he's fatherless, if he's defenseless and poor, and you think you can get away with it, then we might dare. But don't do it. Why? Well, Proverbs 23 verse 11 says, For their Redeemer is mighty. He will plead their cause against you. It's one thing if you go out and move the boundary marker and your neighbor takes you to court and pleads his cause against you before a judge who is a man. It's an entirely different thing to have the judge of all the earth plead his cause against you. That's a court case you are going to lose. You will not be found innocent when God himself is set and opposed you for your actions. Similarly, Proverbs instructs us that dishonesty in our business, taking advantage of people for our own personal gain, is also displeasing to God. Proverbs 11 verse 1 says, Dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, just, but a just weight is his delight. So if you're a merchant and you're selling things and you're selling them by weight and you've got a scale that you've misbalanced so that you're telling someone you're selling them a pound of something and you're only giving them 14 ounces, you're taking advantage of them. The scripture says this is an abomination to God. It disgusts him. He hates it. So just as mocking the poor is a sign of a cold heart toward God, so too is oppressing the poor. Proverbs 14.31 says, He who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker as wintry towards God. But he who honors him, that is, honors God, has mercy on the needy. In our greed, we often turn to unjust, dishonest, or oppressive means in order to gather more to ourselves, to take advantage of those who cannot defend themselves. We love money and we use people and it shows the coldness of our hearts toward God. And like all of our sin, it's not only offensive against God and offensive against our neighbor, but greed is harmful to our own souls. Proverbs chapter 1 warns us not to join with the wicked as they plot violence against others. It says, For their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. But they lie in wait for their own blood. They lurk secretly for their own lives. See, birds are discerning enough. If they see you spreading the net, they're not going to land on it. But the wicked, they spread the net and then catch themselves in their own web. This is the foolishness of sin. And then Proverbs continues and says, So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. It takes away the life of its owner. If you indulge greed in your heart, you will be caught in your own trap. The, the oppression, the taking advantage of others that you would do to satisfy your own greed actually is a trap for your own soul. Wealth obtained in this way doesn't give us what we thought it promised us. It actually takes away from us our very life. Remember the passage I read from 1 Timothy earlier. It says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. There it is. They've fallen into their own trap. 
and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and listen to this, pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You give in to greed, it's like you're stabbing yourself. If you plan to gain wealth unjustly, you'll be caught in your own trap. Pierce yourself with many sorrows. It's death to your own soul. Proverbs 15, 27 says, He who is greedy for gain troubles his own house. Those who indulge in greed welcome trouble into all of their relationships. Remember that Proverbs says those who oppress the poor and greed have hearts that are wintry towards God. Well, this cold, hard heart won't be limited to your relationship with God and your relationship to the poor. That wintry heart is going to freeze over into all of your relationships. Proverbs warns us in chapter 25, verse 16, Have you found honey? Eat only as much as you need, lest you be filled with it and vomit. Now, honey is a good thing. It's sweet. It's a gift from God. I love it. But Proverbs says if you eat too much of it, it will make you sick if you overindulge. Well, the same is true of greed. Wealth is a blessing from God. And when it's used to honor him and to bless others, it's a good thing. But when it's gathered in greed, it becomes a sickness to your soul. Honey that is vomited back up is no longer a sweet thing. It's not a blessing. It's disgusting and repulsive. So is wealth that is acquired in greed. It's no longer a blessing. It's become a curse. Proverbs 28, 27 says, He who gives to the poor will not lack, but he who hides his eyes will have many curses. You ignore the needs of others in their poverty, you bring curses on yourself. One curse of greed is that the cold heart, the deaf ear, the closed hand of the greedy elicits the same response from other people and from God when the greedy person finds himself in need. Proverbs 21, 13, whoever shuts his ears to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be heard. When the one who has acted in greed towards others finds themselves in need, others are not likely to hear their cries for help and assist them. And if they persist in their greed apart from repentance, in the end, God himself will not heed their cries on the day of judgment, but they will suffer the curse of everlasting, unending death in the lake of fire. And with all of this hard-hearted greed and oppression, what are you accomplishing? You're accumulating a fleeting resource. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 4 says, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath but righteousness delivers from death. You can't take it with you when you go. You can't buy your way into heaven. Riches are of no lasting value. You can only be delivered from the death of everlasting punishment away from the presence of the merciful and loving God by the application of Christ's righteousness to your soul. And when that happens, then you begin to emulate Christ and to live out that righteousness in your own life. 
You can't bribe your way out of the lake of fire. God is a righteous judge who does not accept a bribe. You can't buy a better seat in hell. Treasures of wickedness profit nothing, Proverbs 10.2 says, but righteousness delivers from death. The riches of this world are limited to this world. They do you no good in the world to come. The greedy who are so obsessed with wealth in this world show how nearsighted they truly are. They're refusing to lift their gaze and look beyond the horizon of this world into that which is to come. And this is why Proverbs says that there is one who makes himself rich yet has nothing, and one who makes himself poor yet has great riches. The riches of this world are nothing in the coming kingdom of Christ. Better to have wisdom, understanding, righteousness, and the fear of the Lord. These things last beyond this world into the coming kingdom. And as usual, Proverbs presents us with principles to live by. Wealth gained by dishonesty will be diminished, but he who gathers by labor will increase. Proverbs 13, 11. And again, this is a, a principle, right? There are those who come by wealth through dishonest, greedy means and seem to keep that wealth through the entirety of this life. But in general, dishonest gain will not last because the methods used to obtain it will lead to self-destruction. The thief will be caught. The oppressor will be caught in his own net. And even if he isn't, he can't take it with him when he goes. And so Proverbs says, one who increases his possessions by usury and extortion gathers for him who will pity the poor. The greedy person, when he is gone, leaves his riches behind. And God may very well see that those riches find their way into the hands of someone who will have pity on the poor. But here in chapter 22, verse 16, it says, He who oppresses the poor to increase his riches and he who gives to the rich will surely come to poverty. Either in this life or in the next, it will surely happen because God has decreed it. So with all of these negative and lasting consequences to greed, why do we act so selfishly? Why do we give in to this desire this greedy desire for money. Well, Proverbs tells us what's going on in our hearts when we act greedily. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 28 says, He who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like foliage. See, Proverbs speaks of trust multiple times. Twice, it speaks of trust negatively. Here, where the trust is placed in riches, and in chapter 28, where it says, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool. To trust in your own heart is foolish. To trust in riches is to set yourself up for failure. Again, foolish. But seven times, Proverbs tells us to trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Proverbs 3, 5, a passage we're very familiar with. When we trust in our own understanding, we're failing to trust in God. And our own understanding actually leads us into the greedy pursuit of riches. Proverbs 23, 4 says, Labor not to be rich, cease from your own understanding. 
It's our own understanding of things and how the world works that leads us to greedily pursue riches. If your goal is to be rich, if you're laboring towards that end as an end in itself, then you're following your own understanding, which is leading you to trust in money rather than to trust in God. We are to labor, to work, to provide for our children, even our children's children, Proverbs tells us. It's a blessing for a man to leave an inheritance to his grandkids. There's nothing wrong with that. But it becomes greed when it's motivated not by seeking to honor and please God with diligence, but rather becomes motivated instead by trusting in the riches themselves to provide for us the things that we desire, food, safety, security, deliverance. You can buy bread, you can buy food with money, and that's a good thing, but you can't buy true safety. You can't buy true security or deliverance with money. Those things come by trusting in Christ alone. And when you trust him, then you can trust him with all things. You can trust him to provide for your daily needs. Now, in a future sermon, we will address the subject of laziness and diligence more carefully. But for now, know that trusting God is not an excuse for laziness. It's diametrically opposed, though, to trusting money. You're either trusting God or you're trusting in the riches of this world. And if you're trusting money, then you're acting greedily and you'll want more of it so that you can feel safer and more provided for and more secure and you'll end up having an evil eye towards the poor because to give away money would be to give away that which you're trusting for security and for safety. But when you trust God, then you can be free and open-handed and wisely generous. So if greed is trusting in money and going to great lengths, even harming others to acquire it, then what is generosity by way of contrast? Well, our text says in verse 9, He who has a generous eye will be blessed, for he gives of his bread to the poor. Now remember that this generous eye is language that's contrasted with Deuteronomy 15, where it talked about the evil eye of the one who does not have compassion on the poor, who's calculating whether or not the debt will be repaid. So this generous or bountiful eye is one who looks at another person, seeks their good. It means well-pleasing. That's what the, the Hebrew actually means. and it, It's the sense of looking at another person and seeing in them something of value, something that is pleasing, something that makes you want to do good toward them. It's the same Hebrew word that is used throughout Genesis 1 and 2 when it says that God saw everything that he had made and indeed it was very good well-pleasing in his sight. It's the same Hebrew word. To have a generous eye, a good eye towards the poor means to look at this other person and to see their value as one who is made in the image of God, to be pleased with that in the way that God was pleased with the goodness and the beauty of his creation, and then to be ready to do them good by, by giving, to opening your hand and blessing them in whatever way you have at your disposal. It means to be open-handed with your possessions. He who has a generous eye will be blessed, for he gives of his bread to the poor. 
The one with a generous eye gives or bestows food on the poor, that which they need. He alleviates their suffering. He looks upon the poor or those who are suffering and in need. He sees their value as image bearers, and his heart is affected with compassion, and his hands act to relieve their distress. He gives or, or does, he does so without calculating, right? Without that evil eye that looks and goes, what is this going to cost me? Are they going to be able to repay me? Instead, he, he looks at them with a pleasant look. Just as it says in Deuteronomy, you shall surely give to him and your heart should not be grieved when you give to him. You shall open your hand wide to your brother, to the poor and the needy. Notice that Proverbs 9 says that he gives of his bread. This is his own bread that he is giving them. Now, politicians love to give other people's money to the poor. That's not generosity. That's theft. But when you give your own money, when you give of your own supply to someone who is in need, you do with a little bit less yourself in order to alleviate their suffering. That's generosity. But notice that it doesn't say that he gave all his bread to the poor and then ended up starving himself. It doesn't say that. It says he gives of his bread to the poor. He gives a portion of his possessions to alleviate the other person's suffering, but not so much as to cause suffering for his own family. Puritan commentator Matthew Henry suggests that the picture here is that the poor is actually invited to join the family in sharing in the meal. They're welcomed in with open arms. Come and take a portion with us. We'll all share equally. We saw earlier that to oppress the poor is to be cold-hearted toward God. The Proverbs contrast that with the generous person. He who oppresses the poor reproaches, is wintry towards his maker, but he who honors God has mercy on the needy. See, if we honor God rather than becoming cold-hearted toward him, then we will have mercy on those who are in need. If we learn to see as God sees, to value the image of God in our fellow man, then our hearts will be warm not only towards God, but toward the poor and the needy. And when our hearts are changed in this way, then our actions will bear that out, will show mercy and compassion on the poor because we honor God. And just as there were curses and warnings of the dangers of greed, so there are blessings and positive results of generosity. To look upon the needy with a generous eye and to show mercy is to honor God, the Proverbs say. Well, in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, it says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruit of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. If you honor God by mercifully and generously blessing others, God will in turn bless you. When we experience monetary or material increase, we're tempted not to honor God, but rather to honor ourselves. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17 says, Then you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. That's our temptation to honor ourselves. Well, I worked for this. I earned it. I was smart enough, I invested wisely, I accomplished, this gain is mine. We're also tempted to set our heart on the things of this world. Do not trust in oppression, nor vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. 
It tells us in Psalm chapter 62, verse 10. But if we honor God by showing generous mercy to others, then he will bless us with more. And this is not a prosperity gospel promise here. It's a principle of blessing. Notice that the blessing is not that you'll have full money bags or an overflowing closet so that you can look good in front of other people and and count your money in big stacks like Scrooge the duck, right? That's not what the promise is. The promise is of full barns and overflowing wine presses, the things that you were already giving away to those who were in need, those things which are useful. When we honor God with our increase, he increases us all the more so that we can be even more of a blessing to others. Matthew Henry commented and said, God shall bless thee with an increase of that which is for use, not for show or ornament, for spending and laying out, not for hoarding and laying up. God isn't promising to make us great in the eyes of men, but to make us more useful to him in the cause of the poor. This isn't about getting rich or gathering more for ourselves, but about being a blessing, about emptying ourselves for the sake of others. And God promises that when we do that, he'll fill us up again so that we can give even more. And that's what our text in chapter 22 says in verse 9. He who has a generous eye will be blessed. God will bless the person who blesses others for God's sake. Not with the motive of getting something from God, but with the motive of honoring God. Because you've seen your neighbor in need and you had compassion on him. Another blessing of being generous is that you obtain genuine joy and happiness. He who despises his neighbor's sins, but he who has mercy on the poor, happy is he. And we seek after happiness in so many ways, don't we? And greed is one of those ways that we, we think we're seeking happiness, but greed is making false promises to us. It can't provide genuine happiness. It can't provide contentment. It can't provide the blessing that comes from honoring God. But when you show mercy to the poor, when you begin to see them with a generous eye, honoring God with your money, loving God and using money to bless others, then you'll know true, deep, and heartfelt happiness. So if you want to be happy, learn to be generous. Another blessing of generosity is that God has promised that it will result in a richness of the soul. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. To be made rich in this context doesn't mean that you'll be a millionaire. It means that your soul will be satisfied in God, that your mind, your will, your conscience, your heart will be healthy, whole, and prosperous before the Lord, that you'll enjoy the waters of life that flow from the throne of God and from the Lamb. See, Greed leads to a poverty of the soul, but generosity leads to blessing and richness of the soul. In Deuteronomy, God had warned Israel not to consider the year of release when the poor were in need. Don't consider whether he'll pay you back or if you'll have to forgive the debt. Well, Proverbs tells us that God will repay it. Proverbs nineteen seventeen: He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord. And he will pay back what has been given. You are assured that you will get a return because it is God 
who will pay you back. Not necessarily in material blessings of this world, but in lasting blessings. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Set your heart on things that are above, not on things of this world. If you would be generous in this life and lay up for yourself treasure in heaven, then meditate on the generosity of God in the gospel. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 8.32 and says, He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all. How generous is God? He didn't spare his own son. He gave his own son to suffer and to die on our behalf. And then Paul says, How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? The generosity of God and the gospel is overwhelming. He gave his son to suffer in our place. He will freely give us all good things in Christ, spiritual blessings in this life and an inheritance in the everlasting kingdom. We're told in the New Testament that we are heirs of the world in Christ. Now, in light of that, How could we not give to help someone in some small way to alleviate the suffering of the poor and the needy and proclaim to them the generous blessings of God in Christ? So I'll close with these words from 1 Timothy chapter 6. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold of eternal life. Let's pray.